0: This sermon series um, is entitled The Game of Life, and I don't have to tell you that really this is no game at all, this thing that we call life. Um, There are very, very real consequences to our actions as individuals, as family members, As churches, as businesses, even, and as a nation, there are very, very real consequences to our actions. I admit our bulletin cover is pretty playful. It's sort of a summer idea of a game. And as we think about life, I do want to not heap heavy burdens on you, but I want to encourage us today to think some about how life is not like a board game. It cannot be so easily gathered up and placed back on the shelf. No, life life has its complexities that we at first glance may not realize. But we know the longer we live that there are very real consequences to the choices that we make. Our oldest daughter and her family live on the crest of a hill in northeastern Tennessee. And from their back porch you can get a glimpse of the Holston River. We were fascinated with this um, that you could see the the river as it crooks and turns, and it's a wonderful ri- river to behold. But do you know that the Holston River has a very faded history? Uh, some 60-plus years ago, it was polluted by especially two two businesses that were housed right next door to the river, on the banks of the river. One of those businesses you will know very well uh, perhaps by the name Eastman Kodak. You remember Eastman Kodak. Um, I don't know why they did it. I don't know if they were not aware of the damage that they were doing or if they simply thought other people would disregard this um, because of the jobs that were being offered in the area. But now when you go to the area one of the things that you will be told shortly after moving there is do not eat the fish from the river and do not drink the water because of all of the pollution that is there. Eastman industry is not alone in this, and in fact, I should tell you that they are really cleaning up their act, Um, and kudos to them. Uh, They truly are working hard, truly working hard to not only stop the pollution that has been going on from their industry, but to put back in place things that they had undone. And I am encouraged by that. But there is another pollutant that is just down from them that is only 15 miles north of where my daughter and son-in-law and my children, my grandchildren up there, (laughs) Ruby and Everett live. And it concerns me greatly that there is a munitions factory that has been run by the army for years that has been dumping the remnants of I think it's called RDX, this explosive powder into the river. Now they have they have curtailed some of that across the years, and you may be saying to yourself, Well, this is one of those necessary evils. Well, Do your grandchildren live downriver? Do your grandchildren live downriver from it? I will say, I will say that it is encouraging that the army has said that they will stop this dumping of RDX mid-2020. I pray that that will be the case. I pray that it will be the case. There is much public opinion that has generated the recent efforts to reclaim that river. And I hope that you have an opinion about it. You may be saying to yourself, where is this this sermon going? I want to be straightforward with you. It's going right to the Scripture, to the heart of what I think is a part of who you and I are. This says the Earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. And when I was a child, my parents loved to go camping, and they would take us on long camping trips, not just overnights. Oh, we would go to the North Georgia Mountains occasionally and stay at Unicoi or Vogel State Park, but those were short camping trips. They would take us to California, camping every night. They would take us up into Canada, camping every night. It was these long, incredible journeys of discovery. I can remember my father would get up when we were breaking camp, and we did literally have to, we did not hook up an RV and drive away. It was a tent that we were in, an old canvas tent. And my father would get up in the morning, and he would Say to my brother and myself, you know the routine, leave this place cleaner than we found it. Now, I'm not ignorant enough to think that my father came up with that. The scouts came up with it, somebody came up with it. But my father, my father was, he was imprinting, he was imprinting it on our lives my brother and myself particularly and i know my sister even though she was really young at the time of these camping trips i know that she must have been picking up on it too but i still remember it so clearly it's hard for me to walk past a piece of paper have any of you been imprinted that way it is it's incredible how this kind of mentoring begins to take over your life as you see the world from a different perspective I saw this going on even this, this week. I mean this is what life is about, becoming stewards and caretakers. And I saw this in the nature of what Vacation Bible School was allowing to happen. And some of you may not realize that Pittman Park has begun to look at the educational process with our children and particularly with our youth from a different standpoint. We believe that not only do youth need to be taught about God and particularly about Jesus, but they need to be given the opportunity to take on the reins of being the ones who are teaching others. Now, you—if you observed those of you who were involved with Vacation Bible School this week—if you observed what was going on, you saw an army of youth that were fully invested in sharing their time and their energy with the children who were experiencing Vacation Bible School. And it was incredible how they did. You would be so proud. I'm proud of what they were up to. The children admired it. Even though they had no idea what was going on, the children admired what the youth were doing because they just enjoyed being guided by someone that was closer to their age. Now, we don't have this going on just at Vacation Bible School. We've got this going on every Sunday youth volunteering because they are learning what it means to be a follower by mentoring somebody else. This is Father's Day. This is a day in which we remember how we were mentored. It is a day in which we would remember how we are to mentor. I love that old Chinese proverb that says, Tell me and I will forget. Show me and I will remember. Involve me and I will understand. Step back and I will act. Do you see that happening? Can you sense that this is exactly what we are called to do? In regards to ecology I ask you the question, what does this have to do with Jesus? I mean was Jesus this environmentalist that was walking the earth? Was He interested in anything other than the saving of souls? John Wesley talked a lot about the saving of souls the church's mission is to save souls. But what does that mean? As John Wesley interpreted it, as the founder of the United Methodist Movement, John Wesley tirelessly defined the social component of what it meant to be saved. That we most certainly know that there is a spiritual component, but there also too is a social component of being saved in Christ. We are called by Christ to care for the world because of this verse. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Wesley turned an abandoned munitions plant into the first Methodist Outreach Center, there in the heart of London. I think that's an incredible thing. There he was reaching out, especially to care for the poor, those that were in need and downcast. In the website of the General Board of Global Ministries, I found this particularly interesting quote John Wesley sharply criticized the exploitation of the poor by the industrialists, the merchants, the doctors, the lawyers, and the distillers. He condemned colonialism and slavery. To a large degree, the treatment of the poor became for Wesley the litmus test of the value of Christian life and service. Would Wesley have been concerned about the Holston River? You bet he would! You bet he would! Because of the water? No, because of the way in which the water would affect the people. He would be very concerned about the water and the soil, and the forest, and the ocean. He was concerned. He even wrote a book about medicine, about how to care for the human body. Do you think that he would not be concerned? It's interesting to me that uh, this week it's been in the news that, that England is right at the point of banning drinking straws, plastic drinking straws, and coffee stirrers. Have you heard that? This is minutiae, I know. But I'm thinking to myself, why? I mean, why? This is such a small thing. And it hasn't changed me yet. I'm still using plastic drinking straws? Now because I knew that I was going to be preaching this today, I did not use a plastic drinking straw, did I not, Sue? I did not want, last night I did not use a plastic drinking straw. But I think that's the first time that I've ever consciously made the choice not to do that. They are concerned, they are concerned that plastics are taking over the world. Uh, National Geographic's current issue is on the subject of how plastics has done such damage. It doesn't get to your heart until you see how it affects people and animals and the ecology of the world in those pictures. I go to Walmart, I leave Walmart, and I have double bagged everything that I think might break through those little plastic bags. I get home, I begin to spread all the stuff on the counter, take the stuff out of the bags. I look around me; there are ten or twelve plastic bags sitting there. And I think to myself, "Am I just going to throw these things away? You know, do I just stick them in?" No, no. I've got a conscience. I'm going to recycle those. Used to take them to the county. County doesn't recycle this anymore. Have to find some other place. Somebody said, take it to Battle. They they recycle them. They stop for a while. They start it again, though. They know it's a good thing. Take them back to Walmart. Do you know where to take your bags? Take them back to Walmart. I mean, this is a crazy thing. It almost seems hypocritical, doesn't it? You give us 10 or 15 bags, then we bring it back to you, you know. I want to know what they're doing with those bags. <laughs> <laughs> they better be recycling these things. I don't know, but I believe—I truly believe—that you and I better be aware, in order that we care for what God has given to us. And this past week, we were at Jekyll Island for the annual conference meeting, and after after the after the ordination service, we left the building. It was nighttime, and the parking lot was just black almost. We came out of, of course, a bright center. But it was unlighted. And our eyes were trying to adjust. I was thinking, how in the world are we going to be able to find our cars out here? All I wanted to do was get in the car. I was worn out. I wanted to get back to the motel, just lay down and go to sleep. But I couldn't see anything. And finally, as my eyes began to adjust, I realized there is a little light here. This sort of amber glow that is down low where my feet are. And then all of a sudden it hit me that there are these rules on Jekyll Island, you do not pollute with light because it will confuse the sea turtles and especially the young who, we want to go out into the water, not to come back this way. I'm glad somebody thinks about these things. I'm afraid I would be the undoing of a lot of creation if it were just left to me. We have a young father in our church. I am so proud of him. He came to me a couple of years ago now, and he said, Bill, he said, I've been thinking, he said, he said, we throw away a lot of batteries um, in our society. In fact, he said, I have to take our batteries down to Savannah to get them recycled. He said, but we've got this company that comes over, the Georgia Southern. And he said, he said, it occurs to me, we ought to be offering the opportunity to recycle batteries here at Pittman Park. I said, this is good. This is good. He said, don't worry about it. He said, my wife and I and our daughter will take care of this and we will put a couple of receptacles out so that people can put their batteries in these places. Have you seen those in the hallway? Have you seen those? Are you using them? Are you using them? Because this is important stuff here. All because a young father, a young father in our church is taking seriously that the earth is the Lord's, not his. It's not his earth. It's the Lord's earth. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The world and those who live in it. And I I know, I know this is... Hard to think through. But I believe that it is time that you and I develop a theology of ecology. Doesn't that have a nice ring to it? Okay, try say this with me. I want to develop a theology of ecology. Try it one more time. I want to develop a theology of ecology because why? Because it is scriptural. It is here before us. Now I know there's a lot of politics that are involved with this. I'm no scientist, you know. I listen to the greenhouse effect debates. I listen to people on both sides and there are extremes on both sides that say nothing is happening, nothing is happening and then the other side say it's all going to crumble. It's all going to fall apart if we don't do something. I'm no scientist. I don't know. I don't know what is going on out there. But I can tell you, my heart says, be on the side of those that are playing the game with good caution. Are you using a theology of ecology? Are you simply out to get what you can get? Does it matter to you at all? You and I are called to a higher life than that. God is calling us to be His people, His sanctified people, His people that are involved with the saving of souls both inward and outward. We who look to Him, not to question His ownership, but to affirm it. And so I ask you, which side are you on? which side do you really want to be on? Psalm 24 is a foundational understanding for Jesus. It was a part of His very makeup, His thinking, everything about Him was revolving around the idea that the earth is the Lord's. And who was the Lord? Jesus was the Lord and God was the Lord. The earth is the Lord's. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. The Pharisees, who knew how to play the game, the Pharisees who knew how to play the game, they approached Jesus. You remember how this went? Over in Matthew chapter 22 is where it's written, Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Him in what He said. So they sent their disciples to Him along with the Herodians and saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, And show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? They answered, the emperors. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Now you may be saying, okay, are we shifting gears here? Is this becoming a stewardship message? You know, <laughs> Yeah, that's what it's all about. It is about Stewardship. It is about what you and I do with God's resources. You can't divide it. There's no way to do it. Theologically, there's no way to do it. You can't say, okay, this is mine and this is God's. You can't even say, okay, this is God's and this is the world, you know. You can't, there's no way to divide it. And that's what Jesus was saying. You figure this out. You know you're smart enough to know. Stop playing the game. Get involved with the real world and realize that all of these causalities can build life or defeat it. God has entrusted it to us. Entrusted it to us. How can we better for God's world? Pray on that.